0: yeah it's good to uh get to see you here tonight i'm um, good to be here for the for the third time for myself as well. This service started three weeks ago, so it's also good to see the people who've been faithfully with us here the last couple of weeks. Um, if you are sitting down the back, just an encouragement if you want you 're welcome to come a bit further up the front so that we 're more of a group but of course um, you have the freedom in Christ to sit at the back. We talking a bit about the freedom in Christ uh, this evening because we 're going through. The book of Galatians, as you can see from the the graphic there up on the board, up on the screen. And so to to get us into where we are tonight, I thought I'd give you a little bit of background on Galatians. Because where we are tonight in chapter 2, Paul is giving the Galatians some of his background, his ministry background and his personal background about his life. So, um, Galatians. Galatia is a province. If you were here the first week, you would have heard Brandon mention that. It's in, the, it's in what's today part of Turkey, about in, in the center of the country towards the south. So, I don't know if you've ever been on a holiday from here, you might have flown to Antalya. If you might have seen the last minute Urlaub, Antalya. Antalya is just below where Galatia was. In fact, Antalya, back in that time called Atalia, was the city where Paul, uh, together with uh, Barnabas... And another guy called John Mark landed in order to begin their missionary journey into the province of Galatia, and to begin founding the churches there to which this letter is written. So that's the province of Galatia. So it's in the centre of, uh, of of what is today Turkey. Of course, it's it's Greek speaking though. All of the Christians there speak Greek, and it's a different, a mix of different peoples who've kind of been thrown together over the centuries. Um, Alexander the Great came through with his Greeks and Macedonians, Macedonians, or Macedonians if you like the new pronunciation. And so that kind of made everything Greek-speaking, but before that there'd been Lydians there, um, there'd been Persians, there'd been Medes, there'd been Celts, there'd been uh, Hittites, all kinds of different peoples over the years had melted into this um, population in the middle of what is today Turkey. And so um, Paul and Barnabas went on this missionary journey through this is Paul's first missionary journey through the province of Galatia. And you can read about that in Acts 13 and 14. And you'll read there as well. I mentioned a moment ago that they were with a guy called John Mark. He decided not to go with them once they'd landed at uh, Italia. So they go through. Um, this is probably in around the years 45 to 47 AD. So around 10, 12 years, uh, give or take a few after Jesus has risen from the dead on Easter Sunday and ascended into heaven. So the, the, the gospel's moved up to Antioch, where Paul set out from, and then from there, he's going on this missionary journey. And right, right after he gets back from this missionary journey, so his home base, as it were, the city that he sent out for, he set out from was Antioch, and I hopefully you've heard of Antioch. Everyone's heard of Antioch here? Antioch still exists today, actually. It's in a little corner of Turkey next to the Syrian border, uh, called, and it's a place called Antakya today. So that's where Paul heads back to with Barnabas after they've founded these churches in Galatians, and then reports reach him there of how the churches, how these new converts to Christ, people who've, who've now become followers, disciples of Jesus Christ, how they're going, how they're faring. And these, these are not uh, good reports. There's some, obviously, there's some encouraging things, and Paul will get to those in the latter part of this letter to the Galatians. But but we can see right from the start of this book, and in fact, um, we'll see that when we go back to that section of chapter 1 that we left out last week, that right from the start, Paul is agitated. He's concerned about how these Christians are going in Galatia. And so just after getting back to Antioch, he writes this letter to the Galatians Therefore, probably in about um, 48 AD. AD. So Paul's been um, a Christian himself, or he probably wouldn't have called himself a Christian. He would have said he was a disciple of Jesus the Messiah. He's been a disciple of Jesus for around 15 years at this time. um, Spending time in Damascus and Arabia in the desert before heading to Jerusalem for the first time. That's what he's talking about at the end of chapter 1. And In a minute we'll get to our text and then, um, then heading off from Jerusalem, having to escape Jerusalem, he then travels down to Caesarea. Caesarea is a port city; so it's a harbour city on the coast. And in fact, if you've been to Israel now in our day, you can do tourist trips of Caesarea. You can check it out the ruins of the city there. That's where Paul goes, and he got on board a ship there, and he sailed like sort of directly up the coast of Israel, Lebanon, Syria, to his hometown of Tarsus. Tarsus was a city. Um, in southern Turkey as well. And he spends about 10 years there in Tarsus, ministering as a Christian minister, but we know very little about that time. He doesn't; It's not recorded in any of his uh, letters, and, and Luke doesn't tell us about it in the book of Acts, so Luke hadn't met uh, Paul by this time. And that's when Barnabas goes to Tarsus, um, Barnabas, who had met Paul previously in Jerusalem, and he, he says to Paul, why don't you come and minister with me at Antioch, and so he takes Paul kind of around the corner of the Mediterranean, if you've got a picture of the Mediterranean Sea in your mind, around the corner, down to Antioch, and it's there where Paul um, is ministering uh, with Barnabas before they set out on their first missionary journey. So that's where we are in Galatians as well, we're going to read the text, now that you've got a little bit of background to what Paul's writing about here, but I think there's a good point to be, you might be thinking, "That's, that's great, I love Turkey, I love holidays there, i funny finding out about these places? Or maybe you're not thinking that. Maybe you think this is... I can't really follow what, what's with these details. But it's important to notice that Christianity is a historic religion. It's a religion that is based in um, historical events, things that really happened in our world, in space and time and history. The Christian faith is not a timeless philosophy. It's not something that is static and apart from us, at some place up in the heavens or in the, or in or in the world of ideas, but it's something that happened amongst us. Jesus Christ lived; he was born, lived, died, rose again, amongst us here in history. He took on flesh; he became a man, and he spoke to men and women and children. He sent men, women out to be his apostles, to be his um, ambassadors for. The good news and so we see the history of christianity is a a history that is tied to what happens in this world and when we um this is this is part of the truth claim of christianity that christianity can say that christianity is based on things that have that have actually happened in history and it's important the way god uses people in history and if you are thinking about your own life today and how God might use you, then I think it's a great um, encouragement to know these kind of details behind someone like Paul's life, to know how God used him in a very real way over in different periods, so in different seasons of life, in different places for different lengths of time. And that's a great encouragement um, to us. So Paul started out, he spent three years in Arabia doing not much in the desert. And it was amazing to think that from that three years spent alone in the desert, Um, Paul had a great missionary career ahead of him, but not not an easy one, but certainly one that has lasted to our day. So this is where Paul is talking um, in Galatians 2, and I'll read the the first 10 verses with you together, and I think they'll be up on the screen as well in the NIV. It says here, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 1. So then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, so leaving Antioch. I took Titus along also, and I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach amongst the Gentiles. That is, the people, Gentiles, people who are not Jewish, so that includes the people who lived in this province of Galatia. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain yet not even titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a greek this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in christ jesus and to make us slaves we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you And as for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised. That's another word for the Gentiles. That is non-Jewish people. Just as Peter had been entrusted with the task of preaching to the circumcised for god who was at work in peter as an apostle to the circumcised was also at work in me as an apostle to the gentiles james peter and john or kephas that's another another word for another name for peter those esteemed as pillars gave me and barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me they agreed that we should go to the gentiles and they to the circumcised all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor the very thing i had been eager to do all along so this is where paul moves from talking about his history his personal history how he became a christian what he'd done up that up until that time to the galatians giving them as it were his testimony so that they could be sure of where he came from and what he and who he and what he said was true And he begins to talk about two issues, and they're the two issues that we want to talk about tonight. The first one is um, the acceptance of Paul by the other apostles. I'm not sure if it came up there when we had the text a moment ago, but that was like the superscript above this passage of the Bible in my Bible. Um, Paul's acceptance by the other apostles in Jerusalem. And the second issue is freedom in the gospel, the freedom that we have as Christians uh, in the gospel. So if you're joining us here for the first time tonight and you're not a Christian, you don't believe in Jesus Christ as um, Lord and Savior, then I, then I just want to say a few words to you. These two issues that Paul is, sp- is speaking about in this ancient Christian letter are really to do with things inside the Christian church. They're dealing with things that have happened inside the church. But I, th- I hope that as we talk through the first issue, acceptance uh, of Paul. As an apostle by the other apostles that you 'll begin to see hopefully the character of Paul and how Paul viewed the church, and hopefully that'll help you to view to have an understanding of how we view the church as well and when we come to speak about the second issue, freedom in the gospel, I hope that that will be a um, yeah an inviting message to you to understand what the gospel uh, truly means so paul 's acceptance by the gospel, sorry, by the, apostles, by the apostles. So you realize that there are <clears throat> apostles in Jerusalem. And these are the apostles that Jesus himself, they, they were his disciples during Jesus' ministry, and Jesus then selected some of them to be apostles. And as Brandon said a couple of weeks ago, apostle just means somebody who has been sent, like we do, we send the post today. So there you go, an apostle, someone who is sent. But it's more than that. It's more than just simply being sent. These these apostles were called apostles of Jesus Christ, and that's a kind of a designation of an, of an office of a um, of a task that they were given that others were not given. And Paul and we heard that last week and the week before. And if you want to um, listen in to Paul's defence of him also being one of these kind of apostles, an apostle of Jesus Christ, then you can listen to the last week's and the message two weeks ago. On, uh, on the website. Paul also claimed that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ, not just any messenger of the gospel, not just any messenger passing on the word about Jesus, the news about Jesus, but an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so it's important to Paul that he be accepted, that acknowledged by the other apostles that yes, he is an apostle, yes, his gospel is the same gospel that they're preaching. And there are three points here to be made here. Just the historical point, what happened. That's what Paul's talking about here. And then um, the point, how that relates to the church and then how that relates to each of us here in terms of personal application. And these are not separate things. These kind of run into each other and they help us to then apply this truth to ourselves today. So let's just pick out the part of the text that is specifically talking about this. So Paul writes... I presented to them, so I went up to Jerusalem, I presented to them the gospel that I preached amongst the Gentiles. So hey, here I am, this is what I'm preaching, so you know. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Running, the idea of running here or running a race or running or firstly running is a a Jewish idea, a Hebrew idea, the idea that Living life is kind of like walking a course or running a course or going along a track. And so he's saying, I want to make sure that what I'm doing here is not in vain. That I'm not doing, um, that I'm not doing ministry in vain. That I'm not doing the wrong ministry. Can you, guys, can you guys check out my gospel that I'm preaching? And then we skip forward a couple of verses. James, Peter, and John, this is verse 10. Those esteemed as pillars... So that is the the strong foundation of the church in Jerusalem, holding up the rest of the church. So leaders, this is not, um, this is James, the brother of Jesus. For those of you keeping notes on how many Jameses there are in the New Testament, there are a few. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who became a believer in Jesus only after Jesus' resurrection. James, the brother of John, also called one of the sons of thunder, he's already been killed um, about four years before this you can read that in acts 12 so they gave me and barnabas came okay, so he came with barnabas the right hand of fellowship so they said yes you are part of us you are part of this you're part of this church. When they recognized the grace given to me. So they, they extended fellowship and they recognized from what I was preaching, what I was saying, the testimony that I'd brought, testimony that I'd brought with Barnabas. Like I'm speaking as Paul now. Paul's brought Barnabas. He's brought Titus. Barnabas is a Jew by ethnic background. He said, look, this is the gospel that I've been preaching and it's, and it's reaching Jewish people like Barnabas. Titus, he's a Greek. it has been reaching Greek people like Titus. And the, the, other, the other apostles, the pillars, James, Peter and John, they recognized God's work in Paul's calling. And they agreed that we, so Paul, Barnabas and Titus, we should keep going to the Gentiles. Keep preaching the gospel to the nations around the Mediterranean Sea in the, in the Roman Empire and other lands at this time. Keep doing that and they would go, keep going to the Jewish nation. All they asked was as we continue is that we as we serve, as we minister, that we continue to remember the poor. Which is a very interesting statement here that the early apostles, the early church had a very deep emphasis focus on helping and ministering to the poor. So we see here what Paul did. It was important to Paul, important to Paul that he was accepted by the apostles in Jerusalem. And you might ask the question, why was that important? He says here so that he could be sure he wasn't doing his ministry in vain. So he wasn't wasting his time preaching a message that wasn't the gospel, that wasn't the message of Christ. So it's important to understand the context here. And we we heard again last week, I'd encourage you to listen to that message, that Paul is absolutely convinced that he is an apostle because he had an encounter, he met with the risen Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And that's a very famous encounter, famous throughout history, a road to Damascus experience. We talk about that still today. And we know that from, from the great works of art that have been painted, of Paul meeting with the risen Jesus Christ on the road to Jam- Damascus. And that's the revelation that he speaks of, that he received his, his gospel by a revelation. That means a, a, an un- uncovering and unfolding and a making clear by Jesus Christ. So he's convinced that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that God had promised to his people, Israel. But he recognizes, Paul's very clear of what's happened to him, but he recognizes that outside of him, Jesus Christ has given authority to his apostles in Jerusalem, specifically to Peter as the representative of the apostles. Peter is the one that Jesus commands, to look after his brothers, to feed my lambs. When he reinstates Peter after Peter denies Christ and the crucifixion, Jesus reinstates him at the lakeside breakfast in John 21. So Paul recognises this. And he recognises that he has to be united with the other apostles. He doesn't want to start um, the church of Paul in Antioch and Galatia and there'd be the church of Peter and the other apostles down in Judea. Rather, he needs to go down and make sure that they have unity. The important point to remember, though, here is not unity without the truth. He presents his gospel. He says, is this this the gospel? Have I got it right? Is the message that I'm preaching the same message that Jesus gave you before he ascended into heaven? And this unity is visible. We see that here in the text. We're told here that Titus doesn't have to be circumcised. We'll get on to this, to why that might have been a question in a moment when we come to the freedom in the gospel. And, but more clearly, perhaps, to all of us, when we, if we don't know anything about circumcision, we can say that the, the, the pillars, the leaders of the church of Jerusalem extended the right hand of fellowship to Paul. They said, yep, you're on board, you're with us, we have unity. Paul is preaching the same gospel, the same gospel as Peter, James, and John are. We have to understand this point fully, and if you're looking at verse 6, you might think, well, Paul is quite, he doesn't seem to place that much um, value in who the apostles are as themselves and it's important to understand here that Paul places no value in the reputation or the prestige or the esteem of the apostles in an outward sense merely because they are called apostles or recognized as pillars and this is a problem that has been a big problem in the life of the church all down through the centuries people placing great value on other people for what they say merely because of the office or the title that they have, but it 's not because of this that Paul wants to associate with them, have them check out his gospel, but it 's rather because of who they are in christ it 's because of who Christ has said they are, so I hope that explains for you uh, verse six um, if you 've been puzzled about it so let 's um, let 's finish up this point here about paul 's acceptance by the other apostles, so that 's the historical point. What does this mean for the church? This sets a pattern of how church should run. But unfortunately, I've written here in my notes, and not surprisingly, this example, and other examples like this one in the New Testament, have not been followed at all times and all places in church history. And I know that for people, if you're here tonight, as I say, and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, or you don't go to church, you may have a very negative view of the church. The church, the, the church, whatever that means, has been made responsible for many different, difficult, and terrible things over the years. My argument would be very simply, and I'd be willing to talk to you afterwards if you've got more specific questions, is that that shouldn't reflect on what um, the Bible, the New Testament itself says the church should be like, or the church should function like this. But Paul's example here is giving us an example of how fellowship, that is being together and working together, Paul along with Barnabas and Titus, and then on the other hand, uh, James, John and Peter should work together, about how unity should function, that we're all preaching the same gospel, the same message, and how authority functions, that Jesus has given authority to certain people in the church. So, it hasn't been followed at all times and all places, and we have to admit there's been abuses of authority in the church history where people and that happen that continue to happen today in all different kinds of churches. We have the abuse of authority in the one direction that some people try and lord it over others, they misuse the the offices they have or the, the titles they have in church leadership or in missions leadership. We have the mistake that goes in the other direction, the people who fail to understand any real church authority. They kind of think that Christianity is just a free-for-all, I can do whatever I want, and no one has any right to tell me anything. And that leads to a radical individualism, everyone for themselves, everyone's kind of lone ranger, and that means radical disunity. And then with regards to unity and fellowship, we have people extending the criteria far beyond where the New Testament and the church have shown the line to be and saying, unless you do this and this and this and believe this and this and this, then we can't have any fellowship with you, we can't have any unity with you. And on the other hand, we have the mistake in the other direction where we fail to offer any criteria for unity at all. And you have people who believe in Jesus Christ, that he really rose from the dead on Easter Sunday, that he ascended into the heavens, that he sits at the right hand of the Father, that he will come again to judge the living and the dead, trying to have unity with people that don't even believe Jesus rose from the dead. This has been a problem in the past. And so we want to learn, we really want to learn from Paul's example here. If Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, who had an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, if he still takes up the journey from Antioch to Jerusalem, he couldn't fly there, he had to walk. Maybe he sailed, probably he walked. If he says, I'm going to humbly submit to the leadership of the church, I'm going to seek unity with, these, with the church in Jerusalem as part of the one body of Christ, how much more should we want to do that today? Let me give you an example, an example from my life today, and I'm not talking about anyone in this room. Oftentimes people come to me here and they say, here, here's an application form. I'm going here to this uh, mission or I'm going to this Bible school. Can you just fill this out? Because, you know, you're the pastor. Tell me that's a good thing. Or, I find, or, we find out here as the church, after people have already left, they've just gone somewhere and now, oh yeah, I'm doing this over here. There's no involvement of the church body. Like, we see Paul taking Barnabas and Titus along with him. That they are uh, witnesses to the other apostles of Paul's calling, of what Paul has been called to do. And we see no involvement of the, um, of the, of the, the leadership, the pastoral leadership, in a good sense that God's given to the churches. So I think that's a, that is an example that we... I hope you understand what I'm saying there. I'm not saying it's wrong to go to a Bible school or to apply for a, mission, for a missions trip. But I would think that there must be a better way. There must be a way that, that reflects Paul's example here, that we take on board the fact that we want to have the input of the fellowship of believers here in our lives and on our callings. It has to um, mean something in our lives, rather than just presenting facts that are a fait accompli without getting that input, without seeking that unity. And I'm aware of abuse. I'm definitely aware of abuse and that some people might therefore think I don't want to get anybody else's input on this because I've, I've suffered in the past. But I don't think the possibility of abuse should ultimately hinder us from the right path here. So I'm not. I want to envisage and or invite, really, um, a better way here at Calvary Chapel. And I realize some of you may be new to this church here or just checking it out. So this is not try, trying to sort of pull you into this church and keep you here. But I just want to say that I'd envisage a way where um, people who want to go on mission will be sent out on mission or or pursue some kind of training, Bible training, whatever it is, Christian training that we that we accompany those people in the body of Christ, that their brothers and sisters can be speaking into their lives, to be praying for them, and that pastoral leadership, and I'm not just saying that because I happen to be one of the pastors here, has a meaningful function here, that we really are there for you guys to help you and to pray for you and to accompany you. So again, that's my invitation to you. That's the personal application from this point. That affects the way we relate to each other here in the church. We don't want to be a bunch which is particularly the, the danger in our day, with our society is really individualistic. I always think of the uh the Burger King advertisement of the last few years, have it your way. As if that's the most important thing. You're the king. Have it your way. That's so individualistic. We don't want to be like a bunch of lone rangers here. We want to be the body of Christ. So we come to our second point this evening, freedom in the gospel. Again, if you've got questions about that, or you've had experiences with abusive leadership in the past and you want to talk about that, then you can definitely come up and speak to me afterwards or any of the leaders here from church at five. And again, if, if you have to leave straight after the service, then you can send us an email as well. I'd be happy to talk to you about any of those points. But it would be wrong. I mean, I could have made that's the message for tonight. Let's finish up. But that would be kind of missing the point of this text. Because the point of this text is about the freedom of in the gospel. That's why Paul has has come up to Jerusalem to clarify things in one sense. But I found that that, that first point that I've just shared with you is very important. It is very important for the, the unity and the life of the Christian church today, the way the church should function, especially in light of the horrible mistakes that have happened. We look back in church history and we think about the, the kind of things like the Crusades. If that isn't lording it over people, I don't know what is, but it's not just 10 centuries ago in the Middle Ages. We have abuse in this sec, in this area even today, and we need to face up to that. It's an important message that needs to be said. But let's come now to freedom in the gospel. Paul, um, I'm just quoting again the verses here. This is verse 2. I'm not sure if it will be up on the screen. Paul writes, I presented to them, so the leaders in Jerusalem, the gospel ...that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So what's the background here? What's the, the, uh, the catalyst that makes Paul now decide that he will go up to Jerusalem at this point? I mean, as I say, he's been in Arabia for three years. Then he went up to Jerusalem the first time, okay, so he has been up once. But then he's been ministering in Tarsus in Cilicia, or Calicchia, if you like the new pronunciation for 10 years almost, and then he goes to Tarsus, and then he does this first missionary journey, and now he wants to travel up to Jerusalem again. What's the catalyst? What's the trigger for this? See, Paul is running into opposition. Paul's message, Paul's gospel is running into opposition in the Galatian churches. And he's hearing reports of this, and that's why he's motivated to write this letter. So he says that there's, a, there's people in these churches who are saying... That in order to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, as a a Gentile, so as a Greek, or a Celt, or a, a Mede, or a Lydian, or a Roman, in order to come into a right relationship with Jesus Christ, to become a true disciple, in addition to believing in Jesus, to believing that he did live a perfect life, die on the cross, was raised to new life three days later, ascended into heaven, and he sits now at the right hand of the Father... You also need to keep the law of Moses because Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. He was born into the Jewish people and the law of Moses, the Jewish law was valid for Jesus. He lived according to the law and therefore his disciples must also live according to that law. And especially in view are the three external signs of what it meant to be a Jewish person at this time. That is circumcision for all males, all Jewish males, keeping the Sabbath, the holy day, the seventh day, and keeping the the, the purity laws, that is the laws relating to what foods you could or couldn't eat in order to separate yourself away from those who did not belong to the people. So it's against, this is the context, this message is being preached. You can't be a true disciple of Jesus, you Roman, you Greek, you German, unless you keep this law. And this message is being preached or being spread inside the churches. Paul uses very uh, strong language here to talk about this. He says, he says, false believers. It actually says in the original language um, or in the original Greek, false brothers and sisters people who, who look like or pretend to be or claim to be brothers and sisters, that is, have, a, have a, a family togetherness because of their relationship with Jesus, but who aren't really brothers and sisters. They had infiltrated our ranks. It sounds like he's, sounds like he's using military language. He's talking about people creeping into a, into a camp. To spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. And he contrasts this freedom with the, next, with the word in the next sentence, and to make us slaves. They're not just kind of looking at the freedom to see what it's like. They're actually trying to take it away and make us slaves, we could, we could add again. And Paul is very strong in his defense here. We didn't give in to them for a moment. So this issue is very strong. It, sorry, is very seriously important to Paul. His defense is strong and vigorous at this point. So what is the issue at stake? Paul is saying here that the law of Moses, keeping the law of Moses, is not necessary for salvation. It's not necessary, that's such a Christian sentence, is it not necessary for salvation? What is salvation? It's not necessary to be a disciple of Jesus that you keep the law of Moses, that you therefore be circumcised, if you're a male, or that you keep the Sabbath as the Sabbath law, or that you keep the food purity laws, or any of the other 613 laws given in the Old Testament. So this is a big issue. Rather, Paul is saying, and will say with more clarity in Galatians, and so that's why we'll come back to it, That's through faith in Jesus Christ alone, that we are saved that is that we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ as his disciple therefore through Jesus Christ as the second person of the trinity god himself have a relationship with god it's on the basis of faith in what Jesus Christ has done and not through keeping the law that we can be disciples of Christ and i'm just going to go into briefly here into one uh, important aspect as i say This is one of the major topics of this letter. And it will come up again in chapter 3. And as I mentioned at the start, if you're not a Christian, then you may have um, understandings of how Christianity works that unfortunately are often very um, similar to understandings that Christians have of how Christianity, how Christian faith works. And so that's why I want to talk about this one issue now. I suppose the caricature is that Christian faith is like a list of don'ts. You shouldn't do this, or you mustn't do this, or you can't do this. And Therefore, it's immediately thought, okay, well, Christianity spoils my freedom, spoils my fun, spoils my choice. I'm not allowed to do any of these things which everyone else seems to be allowed to do. And we often... Um, we often think, therefore, as Christians, maybe of the Ten Commandments, which are again formulated in a way that says, Thou shalt not, or you shall not, in modern English. You shall not do this, or thou shalt not do this. And So it's really important to see what Paul means here. He's saying that we don't have to keep this law. We don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. Don't have to keep the Ten Commandments in order to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Rather, it's alone on the basis of our faith in Jesus Christ that we can be his disciples, that we can have the living hope that we will one day ourselves rise to new life just as Jesus Christ did. And that is such a crucial, crucial thing that Paul's saying we didn't give in to them for a minute on this point. I wasn't going to budge an inch on this. I wasn't going to open the door just a little bit to let in a little bit of works or a little bit of keeping this or that law, or well, that's kind of important. We want to keep that on board. I'm not going to open the door a bit. It's on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ has done for us alone that allows us to be His disciples. And it's fitting that we're talking about this at the beginning of the 500th year to celebrate the Reformation because it was Martin Luther's uh, commentary on the book of Galatians. So when he he read through the book of Galatians and wrote down comments on the verses, how he understood them, which became such a strong tool that was used of God, I believe, to spread this truth anew um, in the 16th century. So let me just... Finish up by saying, when it comes to good works, good things that we might do. Everyone knows what we're talking about. Christians know what it is to do a good thing or a good work. And um, outside the church, the culture still understands what are good things to do. Good things to do. As Christians, according to this truth that that Paul is unfolding here, we don't do these things because of the law Because of the law of Moses. That is, the reason I don't kill Brandon is not because the commandment says, Thou shalt not kill. It's not because of that. That's not the basis on which I'll be judged whether I kept the commandment, Thou shalt not kill, as part of the law of Moses. That law isn't binding on me. It's not for that reason that I don't kill. Rather, because I've been set free, that's that freedom again, through Christ, that is, his spirit has come into my life, has changed my heart. It's given me a new heart that I'm now able with in freedom and a clear conscience to choose to follow him. That it's out of that love that he first showed me that I love my brother and I don't kill him. So it's the basis that Paul is talking about here, for good works. And this is so important for you and your Christian life, if you're a Christian here tonight, that you understand this basis very clearly, why you do certain things and don't do other things. We have to be clear here and and be as strong as Paul and say the reason we pray or do our quiet time or read the Bible or love our neighbor is not because We have to because we're bound by the law of Moses that says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Rather, we do it out of Christian freedom because we've been set free in Jesus Christ on the basis of receiving his love. We pass that love on to others. You might say it's a small difference because it results in the same thing outwardly. Whether I read the Bible because I'm free to do that in Christ or because I think I have to do this to please God, I still read the Bible. But the motivation is is key to living out a true a true Christian freedom, which is what Paul is writing about here. We have to have the right basis for why we do something, and the basis for a Christian can never be because of the law. So the good works that we do are never to be done because the law says... I'll say it again, rather, out of the love that that Christ showed for us through His Holy Spirit, we serve joyfully and gladly. That is the picture of the Christian life that Paul wants to communicate to you here. So again, I say, if you're not a Christian, and if you can definitely resonate with the clichés about the Christian life that I've kind of mentioned tonight, then come and speak to one of us after the service. Um, If this idea of Christian freedom Um, has got you interested. Let me just um, end here with a quote from Martin Luther. Martin Luther, this is from his commentary on Galatians. So written, what, 500, almost 500 years ago. He says, No work of the law is necessary for salvation and for righteousness, for the law is dead. Uh, in brackets, parenthesis, Romans 6, and has no longer any force to bind us. But we are free, following the love of Christ, to do good works, but then not to do them as works of the law. I hope you can understand that. To do them as good works out of the freedom that we have in Christ, not because they're works of the law. So I want to end here tonight. Um, this is—you might say—as I invite the worship team to come back up here. Yeah, we're gonna have one more song, right? Yeah. This is this is the point where you want to worship Christ for this freedom that you have, this, this freedom from all of this binding law on your life or your conscience, because you've been set free in Christ. You can now, out of love, freely and joyfully serve, freely and joyfully give, and I think it's. Um, It's a point well taken that that should motivate us to worship, to worship this God. And so that's what we want to do with this last song, to worship Jesus Christ, because he is the means by which we are free, by which our consciences are free, by which we're set free to serve him freely, generously, joyfully, without compulsion, without being bound by the law, with the right motivation in our hearts, with the motivation that's given to us by the Spirit and that truly gives us life. So let me leave you tonight by summing up these two points. I believe there is a better way when it comes to church unity, fellowship and authority, how we function together as a body of believers. Paul gives us a great example and that'd be my encouragement, my invitation to you. Let's, let's live our church like that here in Freiburg. And make much of this freedom that we have in Christ. And be like Paul and say, I'm not going to budge an inch on this. I'm not going to open the door. I'm going to preserve, as Paul says here, the truth of the gospel. Amen.